Happy Thanksgiving. This is Bill Woods up here in Sun Valley, Arizona, hoping that you're having a, a good time as you plan for Thanksgiving, realizing that we've got so much to be thankful for. And I, I hope that it's not just something that you do once a year, but that you have a thankful heart all year long as you praise God for the blessings that he has given to each one of us. Today I want to talk about five kernels of corn. I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 17. Paul is talking. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from the death to death, uh, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we, we are not. We're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know, today many say uh, Thanksgiving time is a time when we need to be thankful. Well, like I've already hinted, I think that we need to be thankful all the time. But there are people that list the things they're thankful for, things like food and health and friends and the list goes on, but just who do we thank when we do that? To really be thankful, you need somebody to thank. You can't be thankful for things unless you know who to thank. I know that uh, who we should thank. Thank God, the giver of all good gifts. Uh, thank God who sustains and leads his children. Verse 14 of our text says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You know, there's a movement in our country today trying to defame the key people who've given us our rich heritage. They want to scandalize our founding fathers, and I don't know why they would want to do that. They want to negate the accomplishments of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin, all the great leaders who sacrificed to build this republic known as the United States of America, the greatest nation on earth for 245 years. They're claiming our nation was built on white supremacy. This movement hopes to remove all the statues and monuments and do away with holidays that remind us of our rich heritage. The push is towards socialism and Marxism. They want to be a communist country. I don't understand why they don't like the blessings that we've enjoyed all these years. What a disaster it would be should they succeed. We have major leaders in our government right now in Washington, D.C. that are stoking this fire with gasoline because they're so power-hungry. One of the targets is to get rid of the historical stories about the pilgrims that left persecution in England to settle in America in order to enjoy freedom of worship and relief from tyranny. And I want you to know 
They did not feel like white supremacists. They did not feel like they were going to come over and, and just conquer everything. The effort is being made to identify the pilgrims as greedy, cruel, and selfish people who came to steal from the Indians, steal their land, steal their possessions, and enslave or kill the tribes that were here. And I want to say nothing could be farther from the truth if you check out the historical facts. The first Thanksgiving was a time when the pilgrims thanked someone. They thanked Almighty God. You know, today we need to be reminded to thank God too. The pilgrims fled England to Holland for religious freedom, but were afraid their children would lose their English heritage. Finally, it was decided that they would charter a ship, it was the Mayflower, to go to the New World to live. On September 16, 1620, two ships set sail from Plymouth, England, the Speedwell and the Mayflower. The Speedwell encountered such difficulty as they began their journey, springing many leaks through the boat, making it unsafe. So when the two ships went to port in Plymouth, England, it was decided the Speedwell could go no further, and 42 passengers from the Speedwell joined the 60 passengers and 30 crew members aboard the Mayflower. Passengers and crew on the Mayflower now totaled 132 people, uh, 30 crew members, 102 passengers. The majority of the 102 passengers on board the Mayflower were devout Christians. They were coming to America to escape, escape the bonds of the Church of England so that they could worship God as they believed scriptures taught. With great excitement and expectations, they set sail for a new land. It wasn't long before the trip became difficult for several reasons, as noted by William Bradford, a historian on the Mayflower, who later became governor of the colony for 33 years. A storm-tossed 65-day journey across the wintry Atlantic Ocean in 1620 carried the small, slow merchant Mayflower into an honored place in American history. That trip in itself had to be a nightmare. The Mayflower was a three-masted vessel of 180 tons. It was approximately 100 feet long and its greatest width was 26 feet. The stern rose 27 feet above the water when the ship was loaded. Two decks ran the length of the ship. Uh, the, there was just no room for all the people on board and their luggage and their supplies. Some reports say they, they brought some animals too. I don't know, but that's just what I read. Maybe some cattle, some horses. Anyhow, historians have wondered how 102 passengers found sleeping space. There were just two cabins, a galley, and quarters for about 30 crewmen. One writer guessed that if the officers gave up most of their cabin space, maybe 54 parents and children could sleep in tiers of double bunks there. The single men and boys could bed down on pallets or hammocks between decks. Their goods and supplies were stored in the hold. There was no privacy. There were no sanitary facilities, and fresh water was too scarce to use for washing. 
Many of the passengers became seasick as huge waves crashed over the deck of the ship. The smell of the crowded quarters must have been nearly unbearable. Mainly cold food was served as there was very little cooking space. The diets consisted of hard biscuits, cheese, and salted fish or salted beef. With no fresh provisions, many passengers got scurvy in the 65-day trip. The nights were cold, damp, and dark. They suffered exposure to the bitter winds and icy water. Remember, there was no indoor plumbing or electricity. As storms tossed the ship, the caulking worked out of the upper seams, letting in the freezing spray. To make matters worse, one of the crew, a very large man, would constantly curse and abuse the sick people, saying he was going to throw them overboard and steal all their possessions. Bradford wrote, But it pleased God before they came half seas over to smite the young man with a grievous disease of which he died in desperate manner, and so he himself was the first thrown overboard. Thus his curses light on his own head, and it was an astonishment to all his fellows, for they noted it to be the just hand of God upon him. But their problems were far from over. They encountered many fierce storms which shook the ship with tremendous force, so fierce that many times they couldn't even keep the sail out. The force of the wind eventually cracked and buckled the main beam and the repairs had to be made in mid-ocean when they had just passed the halfway point across the Atlantic. Although the passengers and crew wanted to turn back, Christopher Jones, the ship's master, assured all of them that the vessel was strong and firm underwater. He ordered the beam to be secured. It was hoisted into place by a great iron screw that the pilgrims brought out of Holland. And upon raising the beam, they committed themselves to the will of God and resolved to proceed. The ship averaged less than two miles per hour the whole trip. These 102 people, cold, wet, on a wooden ship in the middle of the ocean, put their hope, trust, and lives into the hands of God. The battered ship finally came within sight of Cape Cod on November 19, 1620. Two had died at sea and two had given birth. The pilgrims scanned the shoreline just to the west of them and described it as a goodly land wooded to the brink of the sea. William Bradford wrote, after long beatings at sea, they fell with that land uh, which is called Cape Cod, and they were not a little joyful. Finally, they made it to land, but somehow a mistake had been made. They had intended to land in Virginia, where there would be help from others in an English colony, but somehow they were way north of their intended destination and landed in New England. It was too late in the winter and too cold to try to sail for Virginia. They must stay here in Plymouth. Before going ashore, they decided to write a document known as the Mayflower Compact. At the heart of the compact lay the undisputed conviction that God must be at the center of all law and all order, and law without a moral base is really no law at all. 
That day, the Pilgrims signed the Mayflower Compact, according to William Bradford. He said, They came to anchor in the bay, which was a good harbor, and they blessed the God of heaven who brought them over the fast and furious ocean and a sea of trouble. And they read the following from the Geneva Bible, the Bible that the Pilgrims used, let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good and his mercies endure forever. After many hardships, they finally erected a small settlement in their new wild homeland. During their first winter, things didn't get any better. Supplies were short. Starvation, cholera, and other diseases began to take their toll. At one time that winter, only six pilgrims were able to find strength to get up and move around to wait on the others. Their food supply fell so low that at one time they only had five kernels of the Indian corn that they had found per person per day. That's where the title comes, five kernels of corn. Imagine a daily ration of five kernels of corn. That wouldn't even make a country chicken dinner. In fact, the chicken couldn't live on that. Later, when crops were good, the pilgrims established the custom of placing five kernels of corn beside their plate as a memorial of those terrible days. It was a way to thank God for his blessings. Winter stretched on, and one after another, many pilgrims died. They were buried at night in unmarked graves so the Indians wouldn't know how bad the conditions were and attacked. By spring, 51 of the 102 people in Plymouth had died, 50% of them. Finally, things began to break. A friendly Indian by the name of Squanto came to the village and taught the men how to plant corn and find food. In early spring, the Mayflower had to set back to England. They offered the pilgrims free passage back if they wanted to go. Not one took advantage of the offer. They'd all stay and do their part to establish a Christian land. It must have been sad to watch the Mayflower sail out of sight, knowing they're now committed to this and with no hope to leave. That summer, the pilgrims had a good harvest, laid in adequate supplies, and that fall decided to have a feast to thank God for his goodness. They invited their Indian neighbors to the feast. The Indians brought five deer to help with the groceries. Remember, before we can be thankful for something, we must be thankful to someone. The pilgrims thanked God for his goodness to them. Next Thursday, most of us will celebrate Thanksgiving Day. Many will be busy, busy cooking turkeys or making stuffing, baking pumpkin pies, and watching football games and, and do all that kind of fun stuff. But it's important to join with loved ones and realize the blessings God has given to us. Uh, Thanksgiving is really about uh, food and fun. It's more about giving thanks to God. We usually picture the first Thanksgiving as a time when the pilgrims and Indians got together for a great feast, though I don't know how they could have eaten pumpkin pie without Cool Whip. 
I tend to look at that time when the sea-battered Mayflower anchored at Cape Cod and the weary, worn men and women were on their knees praising God for bringing them safely through the treacherous sea to this new land as the real first Thanksgiving. I wonder how they'd act if they could see our society today. Would they be disappointed to see our nation has forgotten God? You might wonder, how could they thank God for such difficult, impossible times? God doesn't promise ease. He promises strength. He promises forgiveness from sin. And he promises if we'll abide with him, we will have a home in heaven. The pilgrims knew that having Christ as their Savior and having their sins forgiven was the most important thing they could do. Also, having religious freedom was worth whatever cost it would take. By all indications, we're facing some rough days ahead. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you stand firm for him during hard times? Be like the pilgrims. Set your goal and let nothing deter you. This Thanksgiving, remember your great heritage. Remember the example set by the pilgrims and, and Christians who decided to trust God with their lives and help form the greatest nation on earth. I would suggest that maybe you put down the turkey leg long enough on Thanksgiving Day to thank God for his goodness and to draw closer to him. And I would also say, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this was a perfect time to do it. Confess your sins. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins and come into my life. And Lord, I want to repent. I want to ask you to forgive all the things in the past. And I want to change my life's direction and begin to live the way that you would have me to, putting you first in my life. Lord, I'm so thankful for all your blessings, but most of all, I thank you that you worked out a plan of salvation so that I can spend eternity with you in heaven and not end up in that eternal hell for those who are rebellious against God. Thank you, Jesus, for all your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I hope you have an excellent Thanksgiving, and I hope that you remember what it's all about. And I hope you can share the message of Thanksgiving and the blessings of God with those around you. God bless you. Remember, if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with me by mail, it's box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. God bless you, and I just uh, rejoice with you about the way that God has taken care of us today.